Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, April 4th, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. At the end of March, over 45% of the COVID-19 cases in Alaska were attributable to the BA2 variant. Nationwide, over 55% of new cases are caused by the highly contagious subvariant of Omicron. State health officials say that now is a good time for unvaccinated Alaskans to get immunized and for residents who are immunized but didn't get the booster shot to get that first booster promptly. KCAW's Robert Woolsey explains why. Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz is a staff physician with the Alaska Division of Public Health and a member of the department's COVID task force. Rabinowitz says that during the recent Omicron surge in January, people who were boosted were 21 times less likely to die from COVID than those who were unvaccinated and seven times less likely to be hospitalized. And it's never been statistically significant which booster someone gets. A lot of our data on um, boosting mix and matching uh, comes from earlier in the pandemic, so really the, the Delta wave. Um, And a lot of that work did show um, that both mRNA vaccines are pretty comparable, but there was a slight advantage uh, in some groups with mixed dosing. So if you've had Pfizer, for instance, you can switch to Moderna. You've had Moderna switch to Pfizer. And alternately, if you had J&J switching to an mRNA uh, vaccine for booster. Despite the prevalence of BA2, hospitalizations and deaths are down significantly over previous surges, which is definitely good, but it doesn't mean the end of vigilance. 875 people died on March 31st in the U.S. from COVID. If the virus lands in the wrong household, where someone is elderly, immunocompromised, or otherwise unable to mount an immune response, it can be quite dangerous. As a result, with BA2, health officials aren't as focused on severity of disease as in past surges, but on BA2's exceptional transmissibility, which isn't fully known quite yet. Dr. Joe McLaughlin is the head of the Alaska section of epidemiology. With respect to BA2, what we're seeing is uh, it's likely more transmissible than BA1, and, and I've heard estimates anywhere from 25% more transmissible up to 80% more transmissible. It's got to be somewhere in the middle there. Um, but uh, in terms of its virulence or its ability to cause more severe disease, it doesn't appear to be more virulent than the BA1 version. So that's good. It's really mostly around the transmissibility. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control on March 29th approved a second booster shot for everyone over 50 who got their first booster at least four months ago and for immunocompromised people as young as 12. The recommendation doesn't spell out the timing of the second booster, however, and whether it's best to get it as soon as you're eligible or to hold off until later in the fall and the beginning of the traditional flu season. Dr. Rabinowitz thinks this could be a decision you make on your own or with your healthcare provider. Really, there's kind of a matrix of factors that can kind of help an individual make that decision. Um, Looking at your risk factors for severe disease, Um, someone who's 70 with a lot of severe risk factors looks a lot different than someone who's 50 without risk factors. So the other aspect to that is age. And then taking into account when your last booster was or when your last COVID infection was. So all of that will kind of play into your decision on boosters. Beginning on April 6th, Alaska will transition to reporting COVID data only once a week on Wednesdays. 
The four-tiered alert system used by the state will be adjusted to conform to the three-tier system used by the CDC and will be weighted far more towards hospitalizations and hospital capacity than on the rate of new infections. Under the CDC system, much of Alaska on April 6th will drop into medium alert, with many areas of the state dropping into low. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Over 14,000 tons of herring have been caught so far in this year's Sitka Sound Sacro Herring Fishery. The fishery only opened once over the weekend for six and a half hours on Saturday in the Hayward Strait area and the southern end of Crestoff Sound. During the Saner, during the opener rather, Saners caught around 1,700 tons of herring, according to a release from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. During aerial surveys on Saturday, Fish and Game staff observed around 15 miles of spawn, mostly concentrated in the Magoon Islands, Eastern Bay, Crow Island, and the Chai Chi and Cassiana Islands. There was no opener on Sunday, and poor weather prevented a full aerial survey. The state's research vessel, the Kestrel, departed Sitka on Sunday morning, a sign that the commercial fishery is winding down for the year. The Southeast Conference is proposing a pilot project using wood pellets as an alternative energy source in Ketchikan. The regional civic and business organization has already secured a $1 million grant from the federal government for the concept under the Southeast Alaska Sustainability Strategy. Ketchikan's Gravina Island could be a prime site for the effort, says Executive Director Robert Venables. He says the borough owns a roughly five-acre parcel that could one day produce wood pellets as an alternative to heating oil. We think that this is a model that could be replicated in many other rural communities, but we need a test site for some, some research and development of uh, how this model would work and under you know, different operating conditions. He'll be making Southeast Conference's presentation on Monday to the Ketchikan Borough Assembly to consider a long-term lease on the former mill property. Specific terms have not been disclosed. In a memo to the Assembly, Borough staff have expressed caution, noting the wood-fired, wood pellet-fired boilers have not always performed as well as anticipated. The source for the biofuel remains up in the air, and a long-term lease could invite liabilities for the public. But Venables says it's worth exploring, and he's optimistic, optimistic there are untapped biofuel sources that are often discarded. But what we see in rural Alaska is a lot of one-way shipments of pallets and cardboard boxes that often get just burned in open pits and create an environmental issue and certainly do nothing to lower the cost of energy. Ketchikan's Borough Assembly meets at 5.30 p.m. today in the White Cliff Building. There's time for public comment at the beginning of the meeting. The full agenda is available online, and the meeting is broadcast on the borough's website and local cable channels. Officials with the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced nearly $9 million in grants on Thursday for 25 different projects across southeast Alaska. That includes four projects in Sitka, with over $200,000 going to Sitka Trailworks and $150,000 to the Sitka Conservation Society. The grants are intended to be an early step in a long-term commitment to foster sustainable economic activities driven by locals. There's support for indigenous cultural programs, seaweed and shellfish farming, timber management, and more. KTOO's Jeremy Shea reports. A small crowd of federal bureaucrats and representatives of Southeast Alaska organizations, 
celebrates the signing of an agreement in Juneau. It establishes a permanent team made up of U.S. Department of Agriculture officials who will work on sustainability goals in southeast Alaska. There's also a new permanent position tied to the team. Yeah, I'm Barb Miranda, and I'm the SAS coordinator. SAS stands for Southeast Alaska Sustainability Strategy. For now, that's a unique thing. The USDA doesn't have other sustainability strategies for other parts of the country. Miranda says in the past, tribes, local governments, or other organizations in Southeast had to shoehorn their needs into existing federal programming. This new strategy has meant getting several different USDA agencies working together and listening to local needs. This is different. We asked for input from our local organizations and received it. And now the federal agencies, we're doing the work to struggle to fit those into our agency authorities. The the shoe's on the other foot with this. Miranda is based in Juneau and until about a week and a half ago was the director of the Mendenhall Glacier Visitor Center, which the Forest Service runs. She's also a former mayor of Gustavus, so she's been on both sides of the table. The USDA announced it was working on the strategy last July, along with a commitment to invest $25 million in southeast Alaska. It complements the Biden administration's efforts to end large-scale, old-growth timber harvesting in the Tongass National Forest and a renewed effort to limit new roads in the Tongass. Alaska's congressional delegation opposes the roadless rule in the Tongass because they say it squelches economic activity and gets in the way of local stewardship. The delegation could not immediately be reached for comment about the latest developments, Sochil Torres-Small is the USDA's Undersecretary for Rural Development. She says those changes were part of why Southeast Alaska is getting special attention. And so as you look at the, the changes in the timber industry, not strictly this, the roadless role, but you look at court decisions and you look at impact in, in terms of the challenges the timber industry faces now, combined with people who are responding to that, by working more collaboratively together, by coming up with new ideas for how to invest in the home that they love, uh, that's something you want to invest in. That's something that rural development, that's something that USDA wants to be a part of. Torres Small says the lessons the agencies learn in Southeast Alaska could be applied in other parts of the country. At this time, this is really a pilot. We're, We're forging new ground here. USDA officials say they're working on getting another $16 million in sustainability grants to Southeast Alaska in the next six months or so. In Juneau, I'm Jeremy Shea. You can see a list of all 25 projects getting grant funding on the web version of this story at kcaw.org. And a little update on this story. On Friday, Senator Lisa Murkowski said through a spokesperson she's monitoring the strategy's impact on Alaskans but still opposes a renewal of the roadless rule in the Tongass. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories again on our website at kcaw.org.